Welcome to the Sisters Sunday School class at Anchor Bible Church in Hull, Georgia. My name is Sharon Black. We are starting a new study called Christianity versus World Religions, and this is the very first session. In addition to God's Word, which of course is the most important source of information for this study, there are some additional helps that I'm using. One is Understanding the Times, a survey of competing worldviews by Jeff Myers and David Noble from Summit Ministries in Colorado. Another is Biblical Worldview, What It Is, Why It Matters, and How to Shape the Worldview of the Next Generation by Josh Mulvihill of Renew a Nation, um, that's his ministry's name, and that's in Virginia. So those are two books that are influencing this study. There are others that I'll mention along the way. We're not exactly sure how many weeks this study is going to be, but right now it's going to be in three parts. The first part, we're going to look at the six major worldviews, including Christianity, which is one of those six. We're going to look at the major worldviews because they're a little bit bigger than just a specific religion. Then, after we look at the six major worldviews, including Christianity and how they compare with one another, we're going to take a a second step, a second deeper dive into world religions and cults and compare them to Christianity. And most of the world religions and cults fit under one of those worldview umbrellas that we'll talk about first. And then the third part of the study, which may not happen until spring or next summer because of how long this study may take overall, is we're going to look at mainline Christian denominations and talk about what's different. Why are they different? Where did they come from? A little bit of church history. And um, what are the things that are necessary and important in order to be a Christian? And what are the minor differences and things that we don't have to get wound up about because they're not important to our eternal security? So those are the three parts of the study, the six major worldviews, then world religions and cults compared to Christianity, and then within Christianity, the mainline denominations and what their similarities and differences are. All right, I want you to listen to these words that I'm going to say. Just listen to the words and think about them, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Creation. Marriage. Divorce. Gender. Abortion, parenting, education, climate change, Jesus. When you hear those words, did you have a particular gut response to any or all of them? Your internal response when you heard some of these words, and of course there are others I could have said, but your response to some or all of them represents a portion of of your worldview. You have a worldview whether you're aware of it or not. So as we start this study, I want to share some statistics with you. These and others are the statistics that motivated me and gave me a passion for this particular subject matter. Um, I'm not the normal teacher of this class, but I, I volunteered to um, present this information to the ladies' class for, for a few weeks. Here are some shocking statistics. Of the population under 35 who claimed to be what are called knowns, that's people of no religious affiliation, most of whom were ex-Christians, 51% said they question religious teaching. When pressed on this response, the majority of them referred to some form of intellectual skepticism. Ex-Christians often leave the church because they don't think anyone in the church can answer their questions 
or make a case. Okay, that's pretty upsetting, pretty sad. We'll talk about that. Um, another study, and this is the one that really gets me. I am um, a high school teacher by vocation. And so this particular statistic, having been, uh, I was born and raised in, in church and in youth group and um, came to know Christ at an early age. And this statistic hurts me in the heart, most of all. According to another study, 70 to 88% of youth leave the church after their freshman year of college. 70% of teenagers involved in church youth groups stop attending within two years of high school graduation. And the worst part of it is, most of them never return. Not in their entire lives. They never return to church. That hurts me on such a deep level when I think about our Christian young people, the ones raised in Christian homes, raised in church, and they leave and never come back. Why is that? We're going to talk about the why behind that statistic. As a high school teacher, this is a, a story that I shared with the class um, this past Sunday. As a high school teacher, um, one of the things that, in a public school I might add, one of the things I'm able to do is just plant seeds. I'm not allowed to talk about Jesus openly or share my faith openly, of course. But um, for many years, I taught American literature, and I like to just plant little seeds and force students to think about things more deeply. When we got to Henry David Thoreau, one of the great writers in American literature, we were about to study his famous essay, Civil... Uh, civil disobedience. And I have the students do this little philosophy project. So I started off by telling them that Henry David Thoreau believed that we did not need the external structure of government. In other words, he believed if we took away all the laws and we just had everyone live by their conscience, that society would be wonderful, that we only think we need the external structure of government. And I would just say that to the students and ask them what they thought. And of course, their reactions were varied, but in the most part, no, where that would not happen. And um, they're really surprised. And when you push them on it, they realize or they admit without, you know, my intervention that mankind is really not basically good. They're basically evil. So as the, the class progresses, I have them do this philosophy project. And when they present the projects in class... It's interesting to me, I usually know who the kids are in the class who are involved in church and youth groups. You can kind of tell the youth group kids out of the others. And they would stand up to present their philosophy project, and maybe one of the first two or three sentences would be, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I go to such and such church, and I'm involved in youth group there, and this is my truth. And what's true for me may not be true for you. And I hear them. And as a teacher in a public school setting, I can't say anything. But inside, I am praying. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, what are we teaching these children at church and in youth group that they would stand up in front of their peers when they have the opportunity for free speech in class? They can talk about their faith. And they stand up and they say things that are so unbiblical. And it's horrifying. And over the years, I became more and more burdened about the young people that I knew were from youth groups because they clearly did not know what they believed. Um, 
Another time, I had a chance to teach a class similar to the one that I'm teaching right now about worldviews in a church setting, and I targeted it for high school and college students. But who showed up were the moms and dads and grandparents of these high school and college students. And while I was expecting a room full of older teenagers and people in their early 20s, what I had was a room full of middle-aged adults who wanted to help their young people to solidify their faith because they saw their teenagers and their young college students already falling away from the faith. But when I started the class, we do this little survey, which I'm skipping for the purpose of this podcast. Um, In the survey, it turned out that many of the parents and grandparents in the room believed that God was the same God with just different names that the different religions had for God. You know, that Allah and Buddha and Hare Krishna and and all the different people that other people worship, that it's all God with just different names. And I was so shocked. Folks, we weren't going to get to that in this lesson today, but please know that that is not a biblical idea. And I thought, well, if the parents and grandparents believe this, no wonder their kids are falling away from faith. So those are just two little anecdotes from from my personal experience that have motivated me to dig deeper into what do we believe and what do other people in the world believe and how is Christianity different and what do we need to know to keep our young people from falling away from faith. So as we dive into this study, Christianity versus World religions. Here are some questions that most thinking people ask at some point in their lives. Not Christian people, any people. Anyone who is a rational thinking human being, um, apart from any maybe um, mental challenges, etc. Most thinking people at some point in their lives think and wonder these things. Where did we come from? We the universe or we human beings. Where did we come from? How should we live? What is the purpose of life? What happens when we die? Can we know what is true or not true? What is good or bad? What is just and unjust? Well, the six predominant worldviews, all of them attempt to answer these and other big questions. We're going to compare and contrast them over the next few weeks, but all of the major worldviews attempt to answer these questions. So before I go any further, I want to take a moment, because of the world we live in, American culture, news media, the things that we have witnessed on national television over the last few years with elections and such, I want to talk about the need for Civility. Stephen Curtis Chapman just came out with a new album. I love his music, and and he's got a song on there that talks about the one thing that Christians ought to be known for is their kindness. So I want to make it clear that we're not embarking on this study together just to arm ourselves with a bunch of facts so that we can go out and be argumentative with people. That is not at all the case. First of all, Our burden is for our young people to make sure they stay in the faith and make sure we can answer their questions so they don't leave, so that they understand that we do have the truth. But also to be strong when we share our faith, to know that our faith is a rational faith, that it is um, a solid faith and that it's not a shot in the dark and that God has given us 
not only his word, but the world around us that we can use when we talk to people about, about the Lord. So just some examples to remind you of. If you remember the story of Daniel and his friends in the Old Testament, they were taken from their homeland. Um, actually, Pastor Barry just preached on this. Um, they were taken from their homeland. They were told they had to eat things that they were not normally allowed to eat. These are Jewish teenage boys, um, and they were told they couldn't worship openly and, and so many things. But in Daniel chapters 1 through 4, they reasoned with the king with um, a great deal of respect. Their interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar in those first few chapters was very um, respectful. So they set up this challenge where, hey, if we don't eat your food and we just eat vegetables and drink water at the end of that time, if we're just as strong as everybody else, will you let us continue to to keep our standards, etc.? But you see that interaction with the king, they were very civil. You see Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well in John chapter 8. You see Paul engaging with the Greek philosophers at Mars Hill, the Areopagus, in Acts chapter 17. He knew their poetry, he knew their writers, and he reasoned with them very in a very civil manner. He wasn't argumentative. And so I want to encourage you to, as we as we go through this study, that this the purpose of this is not for us to be angry and argumentative with others who don't believe the way that we do. That's not the point at all. However, Jesus did address sin and corruption. He, he crafted a whip and he overturned tables and drove the money changers out of the temple in Matthew chapter 21, Mark 11, Luke 19. So we're not called to be doormats. If someone's eternal destiny is at stake, we can't miss opportunities to share our faith because we feel like we don't know how to defend it. So as we move forward, I just encourage you to think about Um, the fact that we've got to be civil and we've got to be kind, but we also have to be strong in what we believe and be able to answer. Um, That's also biblical in 1 Peter 3. So let's talk about what a worldview is. A worldview is not just a lens through which we view the world, although it is that. It's not just an explanation, interpretation of the world, an application of this view to life, although it is that too. So this is what a worldview is. I want to make sure as I use that term moving forward that you understand what I mean when I use that term. A worldview, and this is straight out of one of the textbooks I mentioned at the beginning, um, Dr. David Noble's book, page six. It's a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God in the world. Let me say that again. A worldview is a pattern of ideas. A pattern of ideas. Remember that. A pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God in the world. That's Dr. Noble's book, page 6. Now, a religion is a little bit more specific. A religion is a system of belief that attempts to define the nature of God and how human beings can understand and interact with the divine because, of course, not every religion has God as we know him from Scripture. Any system of belief that prescribes certain responses to the existence or non-existence of the divine, and that's from Dr. Noble's book on page 7. 
So your first response might be, so what? I'm a Christian and I already know what I believe. Well, I want to talk to you about the importance of passing your faith along to the next generation. Now, I was never able to have children. I've taught a lot of children, but I've never had my own. But I'm an aunt, and I care very much about my nephews and about their eternal destiny. Many of you are mothers and grandmothers and aunts and mentors, and so I want you to listen to this. This is from Mulville Hill's book, um, Biblical Worldview, What It Is, Why It Matters, and How to Shape the Worldview of the Next Generation. He says, six reasons every family and church need to help children develop a biblical worldview. Here are six. To provide wisdom for life. To develop the foundation for lifelong faith in Jesus Christ. To shape character and conduct by truth. To defend against counterfeit ideas. To answer the big questions of life. Those are the ones I just mentioned a little while ago. To equip individuals for service to Christ. 63% of evangelicals surveyed became a Christian between the ages of 4 and 14, with the median age being 11. Think about when you came to know Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to this via podcast and you're not part of our church and part of this Sunday school class, um, welcome, and I'm glad you're listening. If you do not know Christ, I want to make sure that at some point as we go through this study that I share with you how to become a Christian, you may also want to listen to Pastor Barry, my husband, um, Pastor Barry's sermons. He's got a number of things posted on this podcast that are very clear and direct about how to be saved, and I hope that you'll look around on the podcast and find those. If you are a Christian, think about how old were you when you came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? I was a little girl. I took a survey in our Sunday school class in person the other day, and all but one of the ladies raised their hands that they became a Christian between the ages of 4 and 14. And that's such a blessing. So we want to encourage our children and our young people to have that worldview and to pass our faith along to them. A child's worldview is almost fully formed by age 12. I read another source that said age 6, but this one says age 12. The top five influences in order in a child's life and on their worldview are, number one, parents. Number two, other family members, typically grandparents. Number three, teachers and coaches. Number four, their friends. And number five, pastors or religious leaders. So parents, you have the biggest job of all. And you cannot farm that responsibility out to one hour a week in Sunday school or two hours a week, an hour in youth group and an hour in Sunday school and maybe sitting in the sermon three hours a week. You cannot farm that responsibility out to the church. You are the number one person who influences your child's worldview. Pastors and religious leaders are fifth in that list. If you are a grandparent, oh my goodness, I'm going to be talking to you. I'm not a grandparent, but I have a lot of ladies in my Sunday school class who are. Grandparents are number two, and you have a huge opportunity and a huge responsibility to pass your faith along to your your children and your grandchildren. You've got to bolster your kids as they present their faith to their children. And sometimes if your children have strayed away from the Lord or have maybe not come to faith in Christ, then how much more 
your responsibility and your mission uh, to reach your grandchildren for Jesus Christ. So grandparents come before teachers, coaches, friends, parents, uh, pastors, not parents. In level of influence, you have to be equipped, and that is the purpose of this study. I want to equip you to be prepared to help your children and your grandchildren to come and keep, come to and keep a faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to read this quote to you from Mulvihill's book. He says, reject the cultural view of old age as undesirable. Embrace old age and live intentionally for Christ. That's page 56. In another place, uh, one page over, he says, Grandparents have been given a God-ordained role in the family to be a disciple-maker of children and grandchildren. Grandchildren need active grandparents who enter the battle for the hearts and minds of the next generation. If you are a grandparent, your best days are not behind and your influence matters. You are to see yourself like the palm tree of Psalm 92. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's Psalm 92, 12 and then verses 14 through 15. Old age does not diminish your fruit-bearing capacity. It enhances it. That's from Mulvihill, page, page 57. So, I am here to help equip you and to encourage you to pass your faith along to the next generation. So, once again, a worldview is a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God and the world. So the purpose of this study, and this is the introductory lesson, is to teach you the patterns among ideas so that you can identify the underlying worldviews of any issue, any class, any discussion, any TV show, any Disney movie, um, or philosophy with which you are confronted. That's 1 Peter 3.15. You have to be ready to give an answer. And the second purpose of this study is to help parents and grandparents, aunts, mentors, to speak truth into the lives of the children God has placed in their lives so that when they have questions about what they're learning in school or in general, you can answer them. That's Deuteronomy 4.9. It's also in the book of Titus. We'll talk about that verse soon. So you're sitting and you're watching a Disney video with your grandchild. That was an example that was brought up in class last Sunday. Um, there are things, there are worldviews, there are things that you need to stop that video and have a conversation with your five or six-year-old grandchild. Don't let that pass because those things are shaping his or her mind and you have to address them. So the memory verse I'm giving you, if you'll look this up since you don't have my PowerPoint screen in front of you and I gave out little memory verse tokens in class, but the memory verse that the ladies have for this first lesson is Colossians 2.8. And this is from the HCSB version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. You can do it in any version you like, but I liked the way this one was worded. It says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. We want our worldview to be based on Jesus Christ. So one more thing before we go. 
I want to talk about the nature of ideas because remember, a worldview is a pattern of ideas. And I want you to start being able to recognize the patterns as we go. So ideas flow in complex patterns. And the world's pattern is different from our pattern. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there was a study that was done in the 1950s. It was a professor at Yale. So you can kind of... Take it with a grain of salt, but it's a good example and a good illustration. He found that ideas spread like viruses. Perhaps you can think of some ideas in world history that have spread and have caused a great deal of destruction. The Nazi regime comes to mind. So he found in his uh, study that ideas spread like viruses, and he had six groups The control group was given no preparation for bad ideas. He presented bad ideas to all six groups. The control group was given no preparation for the bad ideas. Then one group was given reminders, only reinforcement of the good ideas. They they didn't address the bad ideas at all. They just reinforced good ideas. Then one group was given warning that the good ideas would be attacked. One group was given inoculation. They were given statements, hey, you're going to hear this. You're going to hear this. Then one group was given inoculation. I'm putting that in finger quotes, but you can't see me doing that right now. They were given the inoculation. You may hear this, but they were also given a refutation. If you hear this, this is wrong, but... And then one group was given a warning that bad ideas were coming, how to refute them, and preparation for how to refute them. The last group fared the best when presented with bad ideas. So an important conclusion from this study was that for people to believe a claim, they must be prepared to defend it against challengers. Merely repeating a message over and over again, even with increasing fervency and emotion and clever staging, is actually counterproductive. It's worse than no preparation at all. We have to arm ourselves, not with weapons, with ideas, with the truth. We have to be able to defend our faith and help our children and our grandchildren understand the truth. We have to give them the answers that they're looking for because otherwise they're just going to listen to everything that's out there in the world. So in closing... These are the six major worldviews that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Of course, Christianity, and that will be the next lesson. What do Christians believe? What do you have to believe to be a Christian? What are the essentials? We're going to look at Islam. Islam is the second largest religion in the world now. Um, There are about 2 billion Christians, 1.6 billion people who adhere to the religion of Islam. We're going to look at Marxism. We're going to look at secular humanism. Those are two major worldviews, especially in our education system and in our colleges, which again is one of the reasons why our Christian young people are going off to college and then not coming back to church ever Then we're going to look at new spirituality. That's kind of a newer term for the New Age movement. If you're a little bit older, you might have grown up hearing New Age movement. 
We're going to look at that because a number of world religions fall under that umbrella. And then we're going to look at postmodernism, which is very dark but very influential in our culture now. So the six dominant worldviews, Christianity, secular humanism, Marxism, new spirituality or the new age movement, postmodernism, and Islam. It's really important for us to understand Islam because it is growing by leaps and bounds. So as we uh, conclude today's lesson, let's just refresh our memory on our Bible verse one more time, Colossians 2.8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. Colossians 2.8. I hope you'll meditate on that verse. Your post-work for this week kind of like homework, but not really, is I would like for you to start a journal and journal your thoughts and feelings and reactions to what we're learning each week. For this week, just what is your reaction to um, the big life questions that we talked about? Have you experienced any challenges to your faith or your worldview? What was your response at the time? Do you feel a stronger sense of urgency to learn and to understand? Do you have children and grandchildren who are falling away from the faith? These are just some things for you to think about, things to pray about, and I would like for you just to start a journal and just journal your thoughts as we go. And if you have time and you can, please memorize our verse for the week, Colossians 2.8. I pray that God will bless you. I pray that he'll bless this study. Thank you so much for finding us on the podcast and for listening. And I will talk to you again next week when we look at Christianity. What do you have to believe to be a Christian? Thank you.